The message that I'm going to preach this morning, I know is not for everybody, but I know that it is for somebody. And I pray that somebody is you. And if it's not you today, this message may be for you another day. Because God's word has a way of ministering to all of us, no matter where we may find ourselves, no matter what season we might be in. The word of God from Genesis to Revelation is able to speak to us because this word is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And this word is so powerful that my inabilities will not even stop its potency and impact in your life. I may stutter, but God does not. I might mess up today, but God's word is flawless. So I pray that this day God's word may strengthen your heart. That today God might encourage you with this message that he has encouraged me with. So pray with me, Strong Tower. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to hear from you. And I am amazed, Lord, that you speak to your people through your people. That you use people like me who are fallen, who are made of clay. But by your grace, I'm redeemed, I'm filled with your spirit, and one of my gifts is to teach and preach your word. So Holy Spirit, help me to do what God has equipped me to do. Holy Spirit, I rely on you to communicate the word in such a way where your people can get this word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you might minister in them and through them. And I pray, Lord, that you might set all of us on fire because of the word of God. Jeremiah said, your word was like fire shut up in my bones. So, Lord, I pray that the word might start something in Strong Tower this morning. Start a fire from bosom to bosom, breast to breast, life to life. That, Lord, you would transform us by the renewing of our mind. We love you. We thank you that you have not left us without a word. But Lord, in fact, you have left us with a sure word, a good word, a practical word, a written word, and now, Lord, a spoken word. So thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. I praise you in advance, for I ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Can you recall a time in your life when something miraculous happened to you? Can you think back to a time when something unusual, something out of the ordinary, in fact, it was extraordinary, something that happened in your life that cannot be explained through the rational concepts of man. In other words, God did something in your life that was unexpected, something that blew your mind, something that was exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ever ask for or imagine. I mean, has God ever showed up in such a way where you knew it was nobody but God? Oh, I hope you've got some stories like that. I, I hope you've got some experiences like that. 
Because God loves to enter into our situation from time to time and flip the script and just rock our world and just bless us and then leave again. And we're left there mesmerized by his goodness. Every now and then, God likes to enter in. Now, he's always present. Yes, he is. But every now and then, he makes his presence really known and felt through answered prayer. Can I get a witness today that God has shown up in your life in a way where it can only be explained as God did this, not man, not me, not circumstance, but God. Whether it was that job that they didn't say you would get, but you got, or that promotion they said you wouldn't get, but you got, that scholarship that they said you wouldn't get, but you got. That transportation, that home, that housing that they said you wouldn't get, but you got. Things that you didn't qualify for on paper, but you qualified for in the courts of heaven. And God just opened up one of those windows and poured you out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. And you really can't even explain it except to say it was God. And during this time where folks may have lost jobs or lost significant portions of their income and you look up and you see how did my bills get paid how did I not get evicted this month how are my lights still on how do I have a refrigerator that's full of groceries how is there gas in my car and how is there some money in my pocket and you say I don't know how it happened but the Lord <laughs> but the Lord I know there's somebody out here that can say, I never thought I would get off of cigarettes, but the Lord. I never thought I would get off of alcohol abuse, but the Lord. I never thought I would get delivered from crack cocaine or from heroin, but the Lord. I never thought I would get delivered from pornography, but the Lord. And you have a testimony that other folks who counted you out, God counted you in. And you have been transformed, changed into a new person. And the only way you can describe it is it was God who did it. Now, unbelievers dismiss miracles in our lives as just being coincidences. It's a coincidence that this happened in your life. No, no, no. It's not coincidence. We know it was providence. Amen. It was not coincidence how God orchestrated the affairs of my life and blessed me and met a need because I prayed. I asked him to show up in my situation. And not only did God show up, God showed up and he showed out in your situation. And the world wants to say, oh, that was just a coincidence. No, that was providence. That was a miracle. That was my God being God my Lord. And today, I want to talk about that today. I call that the God factor. Yeah, there's a God factor in my life. And when God shows up in my life, he has a tendency of showing out. And it can only be explained as God did that, not man, not circumstance, not happenstance, but God did it. And when you know what kind of God you serve, it gives you confidence as you face the things that are facing you in the present and in the future that are beyond you and that are above you. Because if God did it before, 
Somebody knows where I'm going. You know that God can do it again. If he brought you out before, he can bring you out again. If he did that, he can do this. I stand in need right now, God, and I have a track record with you. I know what you're capable of, and if you could do that, I know you can do this. If you can do that, I know you can do this. If you can do that, I know you can do this because you have a track record. It's the God factor. And the God factor is when God unmistakably and undeniably shows up in your story. <laughs> Let me say that again. The God factor is when God unmistakably and undeniably shows up in your story. And when he shows up, he shows out. And when he shows up in your story, you know who gets all of the glory. This wasn't something you did. This was something God did. The God factor. It, it, it's as if Christians have uh, an unfair advantage. You know, it, the favor of God on our lives, the presence of the Lord in our lives, the fact that God has a plan for us, that he has ordered our steps and, and marched out our days for us and all of our works were prepared in advance by him for us to walk in in time and space. Uh, the God factor in our lives. And it ought to make us want to share him with other people so that the God factor, his presence and his power can work in other folks' lives so that they can know him for themselves and know what kind of God he is. That although he sits high, he regards the lowly. He's the God who's on time. He's the God who shows up. He cares about the affairs of men and women and the problems that we face. And he wants to come in and save the day. He wants to to come in and do it where we give him the praise. Oh, I'm talking about the God factor today. The God factor impacts how you live. The God factor impacts how you pray. The God factor impacts how you and I worship him. The God factor, the God factor. And today, we're going to see how the God factor showed up in the life of a servant of Abraham. How the God factor showed up in the life of a young woman named Rebecca. And how the God factor showed up in the life of a young man named Isaac. The God factor. So turn with me to the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And that is Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. And as we come to this chapter, we find that Abraham is 140 years old. He's going to die in about 35 years at the age of 175, but he is 140 years old here. Sarah has already passed away. She is deceased. She has been buried. Abraham brought, bought a plot of land to bury her in. And their son Isaac is 40 years old. And he is still single. He is unmarried. And before Abraham passes away, before he goes and joins Sarah in the presence of the Lord, 
The patriarch of our faith is concerned that in order for the promise that God gave him, that he would be the father of a great nation, he has to make sure his son Isaac gets married so that he can have a wife and have children to perpetuate this promise that God gave to Abram, Abraham, to start this nation of people, the Israel, Israel the nation of Israel, the Israelites. And so he wants to make sure that Isaac is going to be able to carry on this promise, this lineage, because God says, I'm going to make you into a great people and I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to bless your posterity. They're going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. But at this time, it's just Abraham and it's just Isaac and Isaac needs a bride. So Abraham calls his oldest servant to him, the man who's over his household and over his finances, his steward or his chief of staff. He calls him to him and he is going to say to this servant, I need you to go back to where I came from, which is in the Ur of the Chaldees. And I need you to find a wife for my son from my people. I don't want him to marry women from the surrounding Canaanite nations. I want my son to marry someone uh, from our people back in the Ur of the Chaldees. I'll explain some of that in a moment when I get into the text. And so he calls the servant to himself. We'll see three things from this message today about the God factor. Number one, we're going to see the oath. Number two, we're going to see the journey. And number three, we're going to see the miracle. Amen. Are you ready to roll? Let's go and look at point number one, the oath. And we'll begin reading at Genesis chapter 24, verse one. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife of my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this, mas this matter. So we see an oath was taken. And Abraham calls his most reliable and trusted servant to himself. And he has the man swear to him that he would find a wife for his son 
from their homeland where Abram came from, the Ur of the Chaldees, a portion of Mesopotamia, to go back there and find one of his relatives and bring back here to, bring, to, to, to have as a wife for Isaac. Now, the reason why he wanted his servant to go back home to get a wife, as opposed to Isaac marrying a Canaanite, at this time, it didn't have anything to do about religious differences at this time. Because Moses would come along later and give the law, and in the law, he would talk about how the Jewish people were to marry believers, whether it was believing Jews or believing Gentiles who, be, who would become proselytes to Judaism. They were to marry people who knew God. Uh, just as we see in the book of Ruth, that Ruth married uh, Boaz, and she said, your God will be my God. And so they married under the one God, Yahweh. But when we come here in the book of Genesis, the law has not yet been given that would say you're only to marry people of the same faith. Because at this time, there are not many people in the land who believe like Abraham does in one God, that he was monotheistic. Polytheism was the religion of the day everywhere. Abraham used to be a polytheist. Abraham used to worship the moon God until the one true God who made the moon and everything else called him by name and Abram believed God and his faith was accredited to him for righteousness. So this monotheistic belief that would also accompany a, uh, uh, um, a moral code from the Ten Commandments has not yet been birthed through Moses. And so what we're looking at here is that Abraham wants someone from his ancestral line because he is concerned about his posterity. So his desire to have his son not marry a Canaanite was not about religion and it wasn't about race. But what he wanted to do was to get a wife for his son from their homeland because this was about the posterity that through Abraham, the Hebrew people would be birthed. And so now he's wanting to perpetuate his posterity, the promise that God gave him, that you're gonna be a great nation. And so he wants someone to come from his family line. So the servant, before he goes, takes an oath that that is exactly what he is going to do. And he puts his hand under the thigh of Abraham. Now, this is an Eastern cultural experience. This is not something we do here in the West when we make an oath uh, with people. We, we, we make pinky swear and all that kind of stuff. But these guys, they would put their hand under the thigh. Why the thigh? Because the thigh was close to the genitals. The thigh was close to the scrotum. The thigh was close to the male anatomy, the, the part that produced children. And so what he's doing, when he puts his hand, this is an intimate experience. This is close. This is up close and personal. So when a man in that time would have another man put his hand under his thigh, close to his genitals, y'all, th this is some serious stuff going on right here. About 30 years ago, 
<laughs> when I was in Virginia playing basketball with some guys uh, who went to school with us, we were playing some ball, and after we played, we, we sat down on the side uh, uh, of the wall in the gymnasium, and we just started talking. And because we all love the Lord and love the Word, we would discuss Bible passages and things like that. And we came across Genesis 24. We just started talking about that. Well, one of the guys had been doing some studying on that passage and on the oath. And he wanted to demonstrate how uncomfortable that may have felt then by demonstrating now what that was like. So he picked me, of all people, to come over to and say, Chris, I wasn't Pastor Chris at the time, I was just Chris, rapping Chris, and he said, Chris, let's illustrate this to the dudes. So he put his hand under my thigh, near my genitals, and was inches from my face, and he was saying, this is how that, that situation may have gone down with Abraham and his servant. So I was like, hey, bro, you know, all right, the demonstration is over. I get the point. You can step off now. And so is anybody glad that we, we don't live under that particular aspect of Eastern culture, that that did not visit into Western culture? Uh, but, but that was how they made the oath at that time. And when Abraham is talking to his servant, he's reminding the servant of his story. He said in verse 7, God took me from my father's house, worshiping the moon in the Ur of the Chaldees. God took me from there and he brought me here to the land of Canaan. I just need to know, has God taken you from somewhere? Has God picked you up, turned you around and placed your feet on solid ground? Has, has he taken you from somewhere? Oh, I know he's taken me from a life of sin. I know he took me from the, the wide road that was going to hell. I know he took me from the kingdom of darkness and brought me to the kingdom of his marvelous light. I know he took me from death and I know he took me into love. He, he took me from somewhere. That's part of my testimony. Oh, my God. But Abraham says, not only did he take me, he also spoke to me. Oh, my. Have you heard God speak to your heart? Maybe not in audible words, but he's definitely impressed upon your heart and he definitely speaks through his word. He speaks to you. Oh, my goodness. I remember when God spoke to me when I was lost and he called me to himself to become a son of his, a child of God, born again. Oh, my God. And then he said that God even swore to him that God made a promise to Abraham. And he swore by himself that, man, I'm going to make sure this is fulfilled in your life, that you will have a great people and you'll get this great land. Because coming from this great people will be the greatest of all, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who will be the savior of the world and be able to bless every family on the face of the earth who will come from Abraham. My goodness. So this thing has to carry on. Isaac has to get a wife and Isaac has to have children. So there's this oath. There's this oath. Secondly, now we're into the journey beginning at verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. So where this man ended up going with 10 camels, later in the text it says he has other men with him 
going with him in this caravan, this is going to be an approximate trip of 450 miles from the land of Canaan back to Mesopotamia and Nahor, 450 miles. And so if they were able to do 50 miles a day with those camels and in that heat, we're looking at a trip of nine days to get from Canaan all the way to Mesopotamia. And when they get there, the Bible says in verse 12, after going to this well of water, the Bible says, then he said, or in other words, he prayed, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he has journeyed. 450 miles with 10 camels and other servants. He comes upon a well and he's asking God to, 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 to do something specific in his life. He, he's praying. He, he's inviting God into this situation and he's praying with specificity. And he's like, Lord, Lord let, let, let this woman who comes out offer me some water. He's praying with specificity. He's also praying with profundity and expectancy because he's like, let her not only offer me water, but let her water my camels as well. So that's profound. And he's praying with a sense of expectancy. He's not just putting that out there. No, he's believing that God, the God of his master, Abraham, is able to do this. So he's praying with specificity, profundity and expectancy. Because you know the Bible does say, we have not because we what? Ask not. This brother is asking God to enter into this situation and do something big. Now in that culture, it was common for people in the East to offer a drink of water to strangers. So when Rebecca comes on the scene, she's gonna offer him water. But she's going to do something that's profound by seeking to water his camels. So this man has made the journey, and now we go into the miracle. The, the third point, the miracle. Because he, he talks to God. We don't even know if this man is a believer. We know that he knows his master believes in God, the God of Abraham. Uh, but this guy's like, I need you, God, to show up. So he starts praying. So when we get into the God factor and the miracle that's about to happen, you're not going to see it happen if you're not praying and asking. All right. So here we go. Are you ready? The brother was praying in verse 14. Now we're at verse 15 when the miracle occurs, when God shows up and he about to show out. Verse 15 and it happened. <laughs> and it happened. Is there anybody out there who needs something to happen? 
Well, if nothing is happening, it might be because you're not praying. But when you start praying, stuff starts happening. The Bible says, and it happened. Oh boy, Lord, Lord, I need some stuff to happen in my life. And God is saying, talk to me about it. Talk to me about it. The Bible says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't even know about. If you want it to happen, talk to the God who makes it happen. So it says in verse 15, and it happened. Before he had finished speaking, or before he had finished his prayer, before the brother had said amen, Rebecca shows up. And when Rebecca shows up, God shows up. Oh, uh, let me keep reading because I know you don't believe me. The Bible says, and it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Nahor, Abram's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Woo! This is not a coincidence. This is providence. Of all the wells he's going to go to in Mesopotamia. He goes to the one where people from Abraham's family goes to. And look, y'all, of all the wells, he could have gone to the well down the street, the well around the corner. He goes to the well where Abraham's family visits. That's not a coincidence. That's providence. After a 450-mile journey of all the wells, they're going to stop at. They're going to stop at that one. I got to keep reading because it's just too good. So, so, so here comes Rebecca. She's got her picture on her shoulder. Verse 16, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little from your pitcher. So this is him trying to figure out, is God in this? I, 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 I asked God to lead me and, and to have a woman come out and, and, and give me some water. So, so God, are you operating in this? So the Bible says in verse 18, so she said, drink my Lord. So, so, so part of his prayer has been answered. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when <clears throat> she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. Do you see what's going on here? Homeboy's prayer is being answered. He asked that a woman would give him some water. And a woman gives him water. And she's a single woman who gives him water. And then he asked, Lord, not only give me water, because that's customary around here, let her do something uncommon and let her water my camels. She, she's going to go the extra mile and offer to do that, which doesn't happen every day. And in order to get the profundity of this prayer request being answered, let me explain it to you like this. My man has 10 camels. And camels can hold at least 20 gallons of water. And that's a conservative estimate. Some books I've read speak of them having 25-gallon capability. But let's just say 20 gallons, 10 camels at 20 gallons is 200 gallons of water. And if the pitcher she carried on her shoulder that he, she gave that he could drink out of was, let's say, 5 
gallons. If the pitcher, the jar, was five gallons, that would mean in order to uh, feed 10 camels or water 10 camels uh, with 200 gallons of water, that's 40 trips that she will have to make. And I don't know if you saw this in the text, but there's a hill involved where she had to go down to the well and come back up. So she made 40 trips. And if each trip took about three minutes each, three minutes times 40 trips is 120 minutes or two hours. So she took two hours watering 10 camels of a stranger, a man that she just met that day. And the Bible says in verse 21, and the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So he's watching this woman go above and beyond the call of duty. He's sitting there watching her saying, my prayer is being answered right here, right now. God is here. God is in this moment because this doesn't happen every day. This is not a coincidence. This is providence. Of all the families that would come out, it would be Abraham's family at this well. This woman would come who is unmarried and she not only gives me a drink but wants to water my camels. He's looking at her saying, mm, she's a bad mama jamma. Oh, Lord, she's fine and her heart is right. She's the right woman at the right time doing the right thing from the right motivation. Because when Rebecca got up that morning, she had no idea that her life was about to be changed. She was simply doing the mundane thing. And God entered into the mundane thing and is about to do a miracle in her life because she's about to get a husband on this day just by doing the mundane. And in the mundane, in the messiness of life, the, the daily routines, don't you fall asleep on God. He can show up in the mundane, in the ordinary and bless and turn a situation around. You don't know when you wake up what God has for you on that day. And again, he's the God who blows your mind and surprises you. But we got to be faithful in a few things huh? so that we can be ruler over many things because that's what's about to happen with Rebecca. So my man is seeing a miracle occur right in front of him. So verse 22, so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor, Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. Because he knew God was in that moment. He, he was standing on holy ground. The God factor. God entered into that story. And he did something that was unmistakable and undeniable. Because the man prayed, God showed up and God showed out and it caused that man to worship in that moment. So what is our response when God does the miraculous? 
the supernatural, the unexpected, when God answers our prayer and then some, what should we do? We ought to worship him. We ought to praise him. Not just in those moments, but especially in those moments. Give God some prayer, some public worship. He gave God a public display of affection and he began to worship God right there by that well. He, and if he wasn't a believer, I bet you he became one then. If he was an atheist, I bet you he became a believer right then because he saw God answer his prayer to a T. Homeboy started worshiping God. So when you have a God factor experience, you will worship. And when you have a God factor experience, you will tell the story. And when you tell the story, you'll give God the glory. Because he begins to tell Rebecca the story. Then later in the chapter, he's going to tell Laban, uh, uh, her brother, the story. And when he gets back to town, he's going to tell Isaac the story. No doubt he's going to tell Abraham the story. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God answered my prayer. And he's testifying. Oh, my God. And God is getting all of the glory. Not a man, not a woman can get the glory. Matter of fact, this story is not even about Rebecca. This story is not about the servant. This story is not about Isaac. And it's not even about Abraham. This story is about God. Every story is about God, whether we know it or not. And God, he comes in here, y'all, and he just shows up and shows out. Now, before I go to my conclusion, I got to say one thing, though. Just because God enters your story and does something undeniable and unmistakable, just because he enters our story, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy for us. Because as Americans, we think that if God shows up, then that means it's going to always be easy. You know, we, we, we believe tenets of the prosperity gospel more than we like to admit. But no, just because God shows up and does something miraculous, that doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says in the next chapter, chapter 25, verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. You see that? So there's no question when he tells his story how he met his wife. There is a gleam in his eye. Let me tell you how God did it. My daddy, because we arrange marriages in this culture, my daddy sent my, his servant out to find me a wife, went all the way back home, 450 miles, 900 round trip, found this woman at the well. She was beautiful. She served him, served the camels, and her family let her go in one day. They let her go with a man that they never met, that she never met, but they saw God all over the story. They brought my woman to me, and I'm walking in the field one day meditating. I look up, I see the caravan coming and then uh, 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 I find out later that my wife says who's that man out there and the servant says that's my master Isaac in other words that, that, that's your bow that's your man out there so she gets off the camel and covers her face and then they come together go into his mother's tent his mother who had died three years earlier 
And the Bible says he married Rebecca in his mother's tent and he was comforted after her death. That's his story. And he's got a gleam in his eye because it's God who did it. Oh, my goodness. And when she tells the story, it's a God story. But just because it's a God story, that doesn't mean it's not going to have pain and challenges. Because we see here that Rebecca was barren. Doesn't this sound familiar? Just the way Sarah was barren. Why does God call people to do things like have a great family, have multitudes, but the women can't have children on the men? The Bible says in these cases, the women were, were barren. Why does God do that? Because again, God likes to set it up where only he can show up and save the situation. He likes to do it that way. So he's called them together, but they've come together and can't have a child. And so Isaac begins to plead to God, please, Lord, impregnate my wife, Lord, uh, through our relationship, Lord. Please, Lord. And the Bible says when she does get pregnant, it is 20 years after they got married. So for 20 years, knowing that God called them together, they had to wait on God to bless her womb through Isaac so that they could have twins, Jacob and Esau. 20 years. Why am I saying all that? Because I know there are people who are discouraged. You know God called you into something. You know God did something for you. But you're struggling. And you're saying like, Lord, if you called me here, why is it so hard? If you called me to adopt, why is it so hard? If you called me to get married, why is it so hard? If you called me to this city, if you called me to this relationship, if you called me to this church, why is it so hard? And God wants to grow our faith so that we can trust the God who got us started, that he's the one who's going to keep us, that the one who's writing our story, who made it abundantly clear that this is his will. Now we're up in something and I need to plead to God and pray to the God who did the miraculous uh, 20 years ago that I need you to do it today. And God may not come when you want him. But he's always on time. So, so I need to say to somebody, don't faint. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. He's going to do it. But in the meantime, he's stretching you. He won't forsake you. In the meantime, he's stretching you. He won't leave you. He won't put more on you than he can bear in you. Wait on him. And if he did that big one, he can do this one right here. No matter how big it is, how great it is, can you trust him? The God factor is when God unmistakably and undeniably enters into our story because we've been praying. He enters into our story and what he does gives him all of the glory. So to have a God factor experience, you got to pray. You got to talk to God, invite him in. Lord, we need you. That's why you're in the situation you're in now because you can't fix it, but God has the power. Invite him in through prayer. And when God does it, worship him. When God does it, worship him and tell the story to other people. Because by sharing your testimony, you're sharing the gospel. My Lord. Oh boy. 
that's the end of my sermon. I got some more that I, I, I'd like to say because I, I want to show you how practical this is. So, so I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm close to my sermon time being over, but hey, we, we online. Uh, uh, you're you going to eat in your own house. So, so I'm going to say what I got to say. I'm going to close this sermon out the way I need to close this sermon out, all right? Just so you know the God factor ain't just something we read about in the Bible, but it's something that God wants us to experience in our own lives because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His methods may change, but he does not change. And he is still capable to come and do the impossible when man with man is not possible. So I've seen God, the God factor in my life in several ways. And here's just a couple of them. How I've seen the God factor, God just showed up and showed out in my life. When I went to camp to meet girls, I ended up meeting Jesus. Y'all, that's the God factor. <laughs> when I met Darina in college, after having dated another girl, and ooh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. She's she a good person, but she wasn't the right person for me. And uh, I think Darina prayed me out of that relationship. So, so, so long story short, man, when I saw Darina make a comment one day in a Sunday school class on our campus at Liberty University, it was like time stopped, the doves started flying, the birds started singing, and it was like, you know, she just appeared to me like, that's the one. I was impressed with her character. And yeah, it was like, she fine too, but it was her character. Man, and I tell you what, the God factor. And when I tell my story, there's a gleam in my eye. I know God brought that woman into my life. Oh, the God factor. When I met Fred Hammond and rapped for him on his tour bus and the dudes in commission, uh, our favorite gospel group, Transformation Crusade, Daryl Fitzgerald, Andre Sims, Kathy Sims, and we got on the commission tour bus and I rapped for them, we rapped for them. And Fred ended up producing a record for us and when Commission left Light Records to go to Benson Records, they took our record with them. And Fred said, if you, since you're signing us, I want you to sign my boys, Transformation Crusade. And that's how I got a record deal. The God Factor. When Jerry Falwell saw us rapping, and he gave us a scholarship for as long as we wanted to go to school. So from my sophomore year all the way till I graduated from seminary, I had a Jerry Falwell scholarship. It's called the God Factor, folks. When Doreen and I got married and moved to Nashville for what I thought was going to be music, and God had other plans, and I lost my record contract, but God used music to get me to Nashville so that I could start doing pastoral ministry. It's the God Factor, how he provided, how he did it. When I started working at a Presbyterian church, I didn't hang around Presbyterians. I didn't know anything about Presbyterians. It was 3,000 of them. 99% uh, uh, of them white and I went up in there and, and, and they received us and hired me to work with them so God was doing more than I could ever imagine and there would be times I would work in the community and people would say from the black community if you ever started church we're interested so in the community I meet Cleon Harrison I meet Tabitha I meet Dion I meet Jay Meese I meet Thea all of these people who are still instrumental in my life today and then I would preach at the white church and they would say, if you ever start a church, we're interested. I never wanted to start a church, 
but God was calling me to do it. And I didn't want to start an interracial one, but God from the beginning made it interracial. That's the God factor. And it has been interracial ever since. We get a taste of heaven till we get to heaven. Oh, y'all don't hear me up in here. And when white people, uh, uh, excuse me, when a white man invested money for me, he heard me preach at, the, at Christ Community Church. And unbeknownst to me, he heard me preaching. God said, I want you to invest money for him. So he put some money in the stock market for me. And I was on staff there for two and a half years. And right before I left to plant Strong Tower, this man comes to me and my wife. Uh, no, he comes and meets with me at Cracker Barrel on 96 in Franklin. And he hands me a check for over $20,000. And he says to me, the first time I heard you speak, I, I put some money into the stock market for you. I just cashed it out. It said $20,000. And he didn't know that Dorena and I were trying to buy our first house in Franklin, one of the most wealthiest places in the state of Tennessee, and, and how high the real estate is. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the capability. But I heard God say, I own the cattle and all the hills that they graze on. The gold is mine the silver is mine I'm the source I'm gonna work it through this resource this man who heard you preach he put some money away and then gave me a check for over $20,000 so that we could buy our first house in Franklin and guess who our first realtor was really our second realtor had to kick the first realtor to the curb it was Paul Revere who told me and my wife that we could live anywhere we wanted to live in the city of Franklin and that man is still my rear armor bearer to this day it's called the God factor. When I was driving my first car, it was a Pontiac Sunbird. We called it the lean machine. Somebody gave it to me in college because he didn't think it would make it all the way home to his place in Florida. So he just gave it to me. And, and, and so when I was riding it, it was the lean machine because it always had a spare tire, the donut on it. You know, and so I'm leaning while I'm riding. Uh, the carpet on the top of the thing was gone and so it would fall down in my fro. Uh, the door couldn't shut. You had to lift and pull to get the door to shut. But hey, I was thankful it was my first car. But when we got to Franklin and uh, uh, we started having children, it was like, man, I can't put children in this car. I need another car, but didn't have enough money. But there was somebody in the church, God will bless you from Zion, somebody who said, hey, uh, uh, Chris, bring your car by here and, and we'll work something out. He was a car dealer. So I bring the lean machine to this man and this man pulls out a Ford Taurus that is just spotless. It was a stick ship. It was smooth. And he ends up saying, here, let's trade. Give me your tore down uh, lean machine car with the upholstery falling from the top, the door won't shut, and you go ahead and jump in this cool, gray Ford Taurus with a stick shift, and, and I rode off, man, in that car. He took my raggedy one, and I rode off with that righteous ride. Man, it was the God factor. I got so many stories I can tell you. When I was in South Africa, my oldest daughter, Krista, fell out of a second-story window and got up unharmed. The God factor. Oh, my youngest daughter, Karis, she was born at 26 weeks. She was, uh, let me get the, the poundage right, she was two pounds, four ounces. She was premature, and the doctors told us everything that could go wrong with her. But we believed God, we trusted God, and now this girl is not only healthy, she's taller than my wife, and she's trying to catch up to me. It's called the God factor. I don't know if you hear me. <laughs> oh, my God. And when I wanted to go to grad school to get my doctorate, 
I looked at a bunch of different places and it just wasn't hitting. I'm like, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to go over there. And so this was when I used to serve on the board at Cedarville University. And God so had it where I sat next to a college president and I didn't even know him. His name was Dr. Carlos Campo and at the time he was the president of Regent University School of Business and Leadership in Virginia Beach. So I don't know who he is. We're just sitting there at one of these functions talking and I'm telling him, hey man, I want to go to school. He says, well, I'm the president of a school. Matter of fact, we have a doctor's degree called the Doctor of Strategic Leadership. He gives me his card. I go back to my hotel. I look that program up and it fit me like a glove. Next thing you know, I'm registering to get into that program because it was a God factor. That was not a coincidence. That was providence that God had me sit next to that man. I can go on and on. Matter of fact, y'all, five years ago, I almost quit Strong Tower Bible Church because of all the warfare and everything that was going on in our church. I was like, maybe I'm supposed to leave. So I heard about a church in Maryland that was looking for a pastor. It was an interracial church at that. So I went on and I filled out the paperwork and, and I went through the uh, program, the people that had set it up in order to be a, a qualified uh, 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 interviewer for this church. And um, God says, no, no, you, you're not leaving anywhere. You know why? Because I thought I pressed send on my computer, but I never pressed send to send my resume to this church up there. And by the time I figured out that I never pressed sin because I never heard anything. So I started looking back over things and I said, man, I never pressed sin between when I filled out the application and thought I pressed sin and realized that I didn't press sin. God was speaking to my life, saying, you're not going anywhere. And then I said, I'm so glad I'd never pressed sin. It's called the God factor. And in the midst of that hard season, God gave my wife book ideas. Not only did he give her book ideas five years ago, when I'm ready to leave and get out of town, God starts giving my wife stories. And not only did he give her stories, he gave her favor and access with people in the industry. And she ended up getting a book contract without having uh, an agent. She, she did it in a way she got signed without having anybody go before her. It was unconventional. It was not the norm. She got signed and she's written these books that people are using all across the country. As a matter of fact, the book Colorful has sold over 20,000 copies when there were some people who said this kind of book will never work in the industry. That's a God factor, y'all. I just got to give him praise. I got to give him praise. And don't let me start talking about Strong Tower. Oh, I've seen the God factor in the life of this church. When we were leaving the factory, and Rick White of the People's Church, when we had nowhere to go, I'm just talking to him one day in passing. I tell him what the problem is. We have to leave the factory and we have nowhere to go. Rick White says, Chris, y'all can come over here to our campus rent free and stay as long as you want. And you can use all of our stuff around here. And at the time, it was the largest church in Franklin. It had the best facilities. And this man said, you can come whenever you want, stay as long as you want, and you don't have to pay a dime. And that's when Strong Tower met at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for two years. Now, we did pay because we don't want to offer to God nothing that we don't pay for. And we paid. And, and God did. It was the God factor. 
And when Strong Tower was leaving the Cool Springs Y, we, we used to meet in the Y, and then the Y got hit with mold, and we had to leave, and we had to leave quickly. We had to get out of there. And so we're going around looking at places in Franklin. We looked at 15 different locations to try to find a place to rent, to buy, to lease, and nothing was happening. And we're like, God, it's like we're trapped between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. Lord, we know your hand is on this church. We need some help. We prayed, we fasted, and God provided. Scott Hamilton came up to me one day in the uh, uh, Cool Springs Y, and he said, Pastor Chris, I know of a church in Nashville that's vacant right now. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go to Nashville. We're called to Franklin. But I didn't know God was about to expand our territory. So because of my love and respect for Scott Hamilton, I went reluctantly to look at this church. And when I went to look at this church, I said, Lord, this church is perfect for Strong Tower. And guess where I'm standing right here right now? I'm standing in that church. The 16th option that we looked at <clears throat> as we were looking for a church, it was this place. It's called the God Factor. And we raised the money to buy the place. We raised the money to restore the place. It's called the God Factor. Oh, I know I'm running out of time, but I'm going to keep going anyway. When God healed Elder Aubrey and Tony's son, AJ, who was born with sickle cell, and they said that uh, not only would he not get healed, but he wouldn't have children, but God overrode it and healed the brother, and the brother got two kids. It's the God factor, everybody. <laughs> when STBC needed to hire a youth pastor, and we didn't have the money, but I happened to run into a businessman who asked me, what does our church need? And I tell him what we need. He says, well, I'll give a $30,000 matching grant so that you can hire a youth minister. I come and I tell y'all, look what God did. We not only matched that 30, we almost hit it three times over. Look what God did. It's a God factor, everybody. Oh, thank you, Jesus. When the church needed a van to improve upon our outreach ministry and we didn't have the money, but God raised up a parent of a member of this church who wrote us a $25,000 check so we could go out and get a nearly new van to escort God's people in. It's called the God factor. Uh, when Roman Steele was born with heart problems, he had three heart surgeries and two other surgeries. This boy altogether had five surgeries, but we prayed to the great God of heaven, the great healer. And now this boy is growing and running and playing football and soccer and basketball. It's called the God factor. When Stefan Parrish needed to have a kidney, have a kidney transplant, God heard his prayer, heard our cry, and not only gave him a kidney, but it was a kidney of a man that he knew whose son had died in a traffic accident. And the man was grieving the loss of his son, but he was happy that his son could help Stefan live. That's the God factor at work. Oh my God. When Elder Sherman Smith found out that he had another son, and not just another son, but a young man that he mentored, a young man who went to his college, a young man who played his position running back, a young man who went to the NFL just like him, that Sherman found out that that young man, Brother Dylan McCullough, was his son? That is a God factor story. Oh Lord, I'm running out of time, but I'm gonna keep going. When God healed Maya, kid of a heart problem, that's a God factor. When Miles Waller was sick 
and God healed him. That's a God factor. When the doctor said that Michael Ralston, Michael Ralston wouldn't be able to use the left side of his body, but God intervened because we prayed, and that boy is using every side of his body, and he's growing up, and he his legs are straight, his vocabulary is improving. When they said he wouldn't make it, God said, uh uh, I'm gonna say another word. That's the God factor at work. When God healed Carolyn, Loretta, Anya, and other women in our church of cancer, that's the God factor. When God made a way for families in our church to adopt children and to adopt children of color, when other people said you can't do it, it won't work, it's the God factor. He made it happen. When Aaron McCain was trying to help someone on the highway at night who was in a car accident, but he fell 40 feet down a dark cliff, and broke his leg and collarbone and all kinds of injuries to himself. And people didn't think he would rap again, yet alone walk again. But I'm here to let you know that my boy, the cannon, is still using his voice for the Lord. He's still out there preaching and proclaiming the gospel. It's called the God factor. What man cannot do, God can surely do. When Centoya Brown, uh, who had this life sentence for 51 years, when God worked in her situation and she got out of prison and the first church she came to was Strong Tower Bible Church. And her husband, Jamie, got up and he said that the God he serves, he's the God we serve, was able to turn 51 years into 15 years so that this woman who was sexually abused could go free and use her testimony to reach other young women. That's the God fact. Oh, I wish I had a witness here today. And when God grows our church during a pandemic, that's the God fact. So I pray that you'll invite this God in. It will be unmistakable and undeniable when he comes in and flips the script. His fingerprints are everywhere. And all you can do is say, Lord, I worship you and I thank you and I'm going to tell somebody about you. Ain't no rock going to cry in my place. Lord, I'm going to talk about you because can't nobody do me like God can do me. Can't nobody do this except God. Oh God, I pray that we would see more of your exploits in our lives because we're going to pray more. We're going to pray, Lord, with specificity, profundity, and expectancy. We're going to believe that you can do everything but fail. Forgive us, Lord, for not taking you at your word. Forgive us, Lord, for not always coming to your throne of grace in the name of your son, Jesus. Forgive us, God, for taking matters into our own hands and stressing and straining, and then we turn to you. But thank you for how this servant teaches us how to pray and how to look for the God factor. In Jesus' name, amen. Wash me in the water Cleanse me in the mercy of your love I need a heavenly Hi, Strong Tower family. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I spend a lot of time on Zoom. <laughs> so I decided to record this testimony on Zoom. Um, thank you so much for everyone who has turned in testimonies because they have moved me to no end. It has been 
such an honor to put those together and for people to just open up their hearts. I cry many times when I listen to those because I think they are so beautiful. So I decided I would actually give a testimony myself. Um, I had a lot of things to thank God for or ways in which God is my strong tower, but I wanted to talk about what's going on right now. Um, God is my strong tower because he has been with me through a lot of sorrow and a lot of stress. Um, I've had a lot of challenges with my job. I feel very blessed that I did not lose my job, but I've had a lot of things change in my job where I'm not doing things that I just loved to do. Um, and I think one of the biggest things I've learned during this time is humility and really just turning to God and not thinking that I can do things myself. Um, I remember Pastor Chris talked about how Jesus, when Lazarus died and Jesus sat with the women and mourned with them and just cried with them. And I have felt like many times in this season when I have been really depressed, um, that Jesus has been sitting with me and crying with me and just wrapping his arms of protection around me to let me know it would be okay. And I was blown away last week by Peter's testimony when he talked about a prayer journal. And I don't know why I'm a writer for a living and I have never had a prayer journal. So I, um, I started a prayer journal and um, on the front it says, in Japan, broken objects are often repaired with gold. The flaw is seen as a unique piece of the object's history, which adds to its beauty. Consider this when you feel broken. And I just, I just loved how biblical that was about how we are all so broken and um, and God is the one who is filling in those cracks and those flaws and, and helping to hold us together. So we are each unique and beautiful uh, children of God. So um, God is my strong tower because I have really felt loved. And I also wanna tell all of you that um, Editing the church services has been such a blessing. I have loved it um, and I really feel, I didn't understand spiritual gifts, um, but when I put the church service together, um, I feel like the Holy Spirit is right there with me. So I know it's been so hard that we haven't been together, but I hope that you have felt the Holy Spirit um, through the screen. So um, I miss you all. I miss big hugs and I miss just feeling the room of the church. But I also feel like these online services have been such a blessing and Pastor Chris has been on fire with his sermons. So um, thank you. Thank you, God, and thank you, Strong Tower.
We live in a fallen world, but we have a God who uplifts the fallen. We have a God who enters into time and space and does the miraculous. It's called the God factor. It can't be denied. It can't be explained. You just say it's God and I'm going to give him the glory. Strong Tower, be encouraged today. As you live by faith and not by sight, I pray that your faith would be rooted in the word of God and in what our God is capable of doing. I pray that you'll look back over your life and see how God has shown up for you and showed out for you and that you would not be discouraged with where you are today. It is a test. Count it all joy. God is in control. He's using it to grow you and to grow me up to be more like Jesus Christ. So you hang in there and trust the Lord. But there may be someone here today you've been watching and you don't know the Lord. The Bible says in John 1 11, that Jesus went to his own and his own did not receive him. But verse 12 says, but to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We don't have the right to become children of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to bring us back to God by giving his life on the cross in our place. He became the payment for our sin. He died on the cross for you and for me. And the Bible says that if you receive Jesus, you will become a child of God. You will be a new person. All of your sins will be forgiven. So if you've never received Jesus by faith, please do so today. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, take over. Lord Jesus, I receive you. I confess you as Lord. You died for me and you rose from the grave for me. Jesus, come into my life and save me. And if you've prayed that prayer, I need you to email me at info at stbch.org so that we can rejoice and I want to shoot another email back at you. And if you are a believer and you don't have a church home, maybe Strong Tower Bible Church is it. We have a new members class that's scheduled uh, online by way of Zoom on September the 26th, beginning at 10 o'clock a.m. So if you need a church home and you want to become officially plugged in here and under the oversight of the elders and the pastors of this church, man, check out that class and email us at info at stbch.org. And also I want to let you know that our food bank is still going on. The hours have changed from 10 to 12. So we drop off on Tuesdays and we pick up on Thursdays. So if you need a boost, if you need some help, if you know someone who does, if you want to come by and get a basket for someone in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, or on your campus, come on by. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's what we do here at Strong Tower. Tuesdays we drop off food, Thursdays we pick it up 10 to 12 noon. And then finally y'all, next month we're celebrating 25 years. If the Lord wills and he allows us to make it into next month, uh, we will celebrate what he has done. So the theme for our 25th anniversary is to celebrate God for what he has done and what he is doing and to honor men and women who have been instrumental in this church for all these years. So, so I believe the best is yet to come, and I'm so glad that we get to journey together. And Lord willing, one day soon, we'll be able to come and worship together uh, in this sanctuary. But until then, 
We're going to keep blessing the Lord, serving the Lord, because the, the church is not a building. It's a people. It's a movement. And we're so thankful that we get to be a part of his kingdom. So let's receive the benediction now. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for calling us into your family. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, to die on the cross for our sin. And we thank you for his triumphal resurrection, that it was impossible for death to keep him bound. We thank you that he lives in our hearts by faith. He has changed us. He is changing us. And he will change us. And we will look just like him when we see you, Father. So thank you for the good news. Thank you for the hope. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. You're an amazing God. We love you, Lord. And may we go out into this world and let our light shine. And may we be salt so that men and women can know that you are for real. You are alive. And as you've changed us, you can change anybody. So may we open up our mouths and share our testimony. May we open up our mouths and share the gospel. May we share the God factor in our lives. That is you and you alone. And we give you all the glory for we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless your strong tower.